thank you, Bill. Appreciate you, appreciate the elder board and their leading uh, during this time uh, as we're kind of walking through some brand new territory. We're grateful for you, grateful that you're here with us today and grateful that you could be celebrating Palm Sunday with us uh, virtually. So a couple of things, we are in a series in the book of First Peter. If you have your Bible today, if you wanna get that out digitally, book Bible, whatever it may be. Also on the tab below where you're watching right now, there's a place you can click notes. And if you wanna pull those up digitally or print some off, be ready to go. Those will also be prompts for our home groups that we'll be meeting this week as well. And so we're just grateful. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. And what I want to do today, just to even kick off our time a little bit, I want to start with some yay God moments that actually some resources that will help you have some yay God moments in the near future. Take a look at this. We've been mentioning today about our services coming up. Um, this is on our sharing, our social media sharing page of our web site, and you'll note these images related to Good Friday and to Easter. Uh, those are great. They've already been formatted, ready for you to upload onto your Facebook page, onto your Instagram account. This QR code right now, if you just take your phone up to the screen on your TV or your computer where you're watching, it'll take you to that sharing page. And we just love for us to just blanket uh, our social media this week with inviting people, not just to come online, but to join you, as it were, on online this Friday night for Good Friday. And here's that bigger slide of that, as well as for Easter. Um, oh, there's that QR code again, as well as for Easter on Sunday. So a couple of things that we're real excited about that are right around the corner, wanna not only make sure that you are invited and ready to go, but also uh, for the people in your relational world. Um, there are some great shots again of you uh, this last week joining us at home, uh, whether it be with breakfast food or kids in their jammies, whatever it may be. And we love that. We love that you're doing a great job of putting those pictures out there and letting us know uh, where you're at and what's going on. I also want to say thank you to those of you who have been watching and joining with us on our streaming schedule. Uh, you'll note that that's at the uh, right at the front of our page and then down below this new button that we've created from on campus to online. If you click on there, you'll see six days out of the week. We've got something streaming for various demographics, parts of our congregation, and things that you can, again, invite people to watch with you when they air live. So just want to encourage you with those. want to thank you for those also helping produce all that content, as well as our production teams who are just doing a remarkable job in this season. Can we just take a minute? Can we thank them right now? I don't, yeah, nice and loud. Uh, we're really appreciative because we are literally hanging on every uh, thread of their ability to help us get ourselves online. Well, today what we're doing is we're moving forward in this series called A People Prepared. We're looking at the book of First Peter. And what we're realizing is we're realizing that when we as the church, when we gather together to be Jesus's hands and feet, we're simply doing what the church has been doing for the last 2,000 years. When there's times of need, we step into those spaces and we be, are able to, through the power of Jesus, be able to minister to people, be able to give them perspective, give them hope, and give them the ability to know this Jesus that we love so much. And so I want to remind you, as you are being deployed into the lives of people that you do life with, it might be a little different, it might not be as face-to-face, -face, but man, through the telephone, through texting, through leaving things on neighbor's doorsteps and just telling them, I'm 
I'm praying for you. And by the way, those are good things that you're leaving on their doorsteps. Uh, these are ways to encourage and just to be a people who are saying, you know what? I, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, I want to especially live out that calling that Jesus has placed on my life to influence my world with Jesus. And I want you to know you've been being prepared for this. You're ready. And just take all the things that God has been growing and developing in you, all that rootedness in Jesus, and now be using it to be able to reach out to the people in your world. Here's what we've been looking at so far in our book study together in 1 Peter. We saw week one where Peter kind of shares this great big picture of all that God has done for his readers by giving them rebirth into a living hope with the promise of an eternal inheritance. Last week, we looked at the faith, that faith component on his readers that's required for them to move into that salvation and to embrace and receive what God has already so mightily done. Today we get into this third week and we're going to see three directives over the span of four verses that really helps us understand how we're supposed to live in the meantime while we're waiting for that eternal hope, that inheritance that is for us. So I'm excited to dive in with you today. Your Bibles are open to 1 Peter. Take a look at this uh, in your notes and uh, on this screen. Our now what statement for today, live a purposeful set apart life now as you wait expectantly for Jesus to return to you. Here's our point number one today. Live a leaning forward kind of life. Live a leaning forward kind of life. Take a look. You're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 13. From where you are, if you want to read it aloud off the screen with me, let's do that together. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So Peter, remember when we start with that word, therefore, it's always in the idea of, uh, it's a summary statement, basically saying in light of everything that I've set up until now, now this is the course of action. And we're going to see the first of these three directives that we've kind of noticed in this passage. It's the idea to focus their confidence, focus their hope on what he's been reminding them of waits for them in heaven. I'd say a, a phrase, a memorable phrase in my mind is simply raise your gaze, raise your gaze, look upward, focus on what God is prepared, preparing for you and what is your next. This directive to me is really important. I really am so grateful for the series that we did last fall when we talked about this idea, we called it after this life. And we talked about all things related to what happens after we die or what happens when Jesus returns. And so within that series, we talked a lot about the fact that a lot of us had a lot of knowledge of what God says is our future. But just knowing that is different than rehearsing it, different than setting our hope on it, like this passage tells us, to be people who are aware, who are alert, who are thoughtful about this reality in an ongoing basis. This is Peter's first directive, to focus on what Jesus has promised and provided for you in, for eternity, because we'll see today it changes how you live presently. This verse starts out with some very vivid imagery we kind 
kind of lose in our English translation. It basically, the Greek phrase says, it tells readers to have girded up the loins of their minds and that they're also not under the influence of something that would impede their clear-mindedness. That first phrase, gird up the loins, that is not a phrase, a phrase I used this last week or in my lifetime. But in this Greek culture, they would have understood as you had a, a robe or a tunic that was flowing, if you needed to run, if you needed to be quick and alert, you would take the bottom of that garment, stick it down in between a belt, and you'd be able to go. And so that's the idea, that's the image, so that you can be able to be quick and to move quickly. The other aspect is really just the idea of sobriety, is really the literal word. So if you're under the control of anything but the Holy Spirit, you're not able to be clear-minded, not able to be focused like we're talking about. And what is that focus? Set your hope. Set your hope. The Greek word there for set your hope is an active imperative verb that communicates the idea of actively expecting to receive something. Listen to that phrase again, actively expecting to receive something. That's powerful because that's what we said is different than just head knowledge of that there is a heaven and, and that God is preparing it for you. That's different than actually being someone eager, leaning forward, actively expecting to receive something. So that's this idea of a biblical hope. Again, we said it's not only just a confidence in what God has promised, but it's an anticipation. It's a leaning forward. Hope isn't meant to be something you merely know about, but something that you actively remind yourself is true and sure and exciting, looking forward to it as you lean forward with anticipation. I wanted to share a story with you this week of an interaction that I had with a couple who's demonstrating this well. It was via email, and I had found out that the week before, one of our members here at Trinity, the husband had lost his job, and his wife is in a market right now that's very depleted, like so many in our economic season. And, and I just reached out to them to let them know I was praying for them and asking any ways that we could be helpful to them. And what I was so encouraged by, again, this has been my posture when I go to reach out to people to encourage them, they're the ones who are encouraging me. And their email contained thoughts like this, God has never let us down. We have so many stories of his faithfulness and that we're trusting him for his provision for our lives. And it just makes us hungrier for heaven. Man, that is a leaning forward attitude. It's the idea of saying, I can trust God in the middle of all this uncertainty that I'm dealing with here because I know, I know what he is preparing for me. I know what he has next for me when I see him face to face. In the same way that this couple is demonstrating that leaning forward posture, man, can I say to you specifically, you who have put your faith, your confidence in other things, We've talked about that the last couple of weeks and Peter's readers would have had those same problems as they're enduring all kinds of challenges if they had put their hope in relationships, put their hope in the government, put their hope in a retirement fund, put their hope in their job, fill in the blank. All of those things were demonstrating themselves that they cannot be, they will not be something that will last into eternity. They won't even last in this life. So in that sense, that's what Peter is demonstrating. Put your confidence in something like Jesus said, where moth and rust cannot destroy. 
See what this hope is. He defines it. He says, it's the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So remember the definition, the real easy definition we use often for grace. It's the idea of getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. So meaning you, didn't, you don't do something, you're not religious enough to be able to have this hope that's, that's going to happen, to have this idea of what you'll receive when Jesus returns. Instead, it's an act of grace that we'll receive and will be realized when Jesus is revealed at his coming. That idea of reveal is an interesting word when you think about it. It's an impre- incredible opportunity for us to think about the fact that there are people in our lives to whom Jesus Jesus is veiled, meaning they don't see him as the one-of-a-kind son of God. They don't see him as Messiah. Like we've talked about today on Palm Sunday, they don't recognize that he truly is the awaited, anointed one coming to fulfill everything God had promised. So to those where Jesus is veiled, this is a powerful idea that we have the opportunity, as it were, to reveal him, to lift the veil so that they might see him. And we think about that, I would even say now, in the way that Trinity Church and so many other churches are responding to the challenges that we're facing, Jesus is being revealed. Jesus' hands and feet are being shown for what they are. His character, his life, his love is being demonstrated in so many ways by the body of Christ. And I love that. And I want to say that for so many, that still where Jesus is veiled, so many that in your relational world, this is the time to be praying for them. This is the time to be considering, God, how can I lift the veil even more to maybe eyes that are more interested in seeing than they were just a few weeks ago. And we'll talk more about that before we're done today, about what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus in our people's lives. Secondly, today in our notes, let's bring it to point number two, to live leaning forward means that you don't revert back to former patterns. To live leaning forward means that you don't revert back to former patterns. Here's the next verse that we're looking at today. First Peter 1.14, as obedient children do not conform. Oh, let's say, sorry, read it with me. Let's read it out loud. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So just a very brief phrase that's there, but what Peter's doing is he's gonna give a contrast in just a moment. So he's gonna begin with what not to do, and then he's gonna help us see in a minute what to do. Look at this initial descriptor, as obedient children. That, That phrase is not meant to be diminutive. What it's meant to show is really just two things, our behavior, that of being obedient, and our nature, that of being the children of God. Parents, I want you to listen to me for a minute. You definitely know what that opposite looks like, that of disobedient children. And uh, not necessarily that your children are always that way, but man, you know, even acts or just seasons of just, uh, and especially living in the close proximity that we've been in these last three weeks, I know you have experienced this sensation of what the opposite of an obedient child is in terms of some of the disobedience, especially in these close quarters. Now, all of my kids are watching this message right now, and I guarantee you all of them are thinking I'm talking about one of their siblings. 
and obviously not about them. So I, I get that. But the idea is, is that this is what we are. Our Heavenly Father, how he has responded to us is that he has called us his own and we're called to live out a life of obedience. Look at this verb. This is the second of these imperative verbs, this directive. Do not conform. Do not conform. And that phrase means to conform yourself to someone else's pattern. So do not be conformed to the pattern of something else. This Greek word is only used twice in the entire Bible. And the other time is a, a time you probably know well from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. J.B. Phillips in his paraphrase, I thought put it really well. Take a look at this verse. This is what he said, the way he paraphrased it. He said, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let God remold your minds from within. So Romans 12, 2, don't be squeezed into this mold of the world, but instead let God remold your minds from the inside out. It's a powerful image for us when we think about maybe all of us at some point have either participated or watched a parent maybe make a jello mold of some sort. And they've taken that hot liquid gelatin, poured it into a mold. And not only did the gelatin conform, take the shape of the mold, but once it cooled and hardened, then it actually retained that shape. So jello has a wonderful vivid image for us today. Of that's what it means to conform to the mold of something else. What does Peter say? Don't do it. Don't live in that posture. And what kind of mold are we talking about here in 1 Peter 1? The evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Simply put, don't go back to living the way you used to before you became an obedient child. Don't live in those former patterns. Many of us understand those evil desires. We all do at some degree, whether you accepted Christ early as a child and those even desires hadn't even really percolated yet and you've learned how to deal with them since, or maybe you did live as it were for decades in ignorance, like Peter's saying here, unaware of who God was, unaware of his design for your life. And then as a result of those things, then when you put your faith in Jesus, what we realize is whether we did that at a young age or an older age, the reality is temptation is not something we're immune to simply because we put our faith in Christ. Peter knew that personally, and Peter knew that for his readers. So now this idea is, what does it mean? I think about this current season that we're in, and I want to give you some, maybe handle some identifiers of some things that you might be struggling that go back to what those evil, those fleshly desires might be like. For those of us who would be tempted to live in life-crippling fear, I want to tell you today, be reminded today that you're not to live in conformity to those desires. For those of us who would be tempted to want to retreat, rather than move forward in leadership and service with those in our home that we're living under the same roof with, be reminded today not to live in conformity to those desires. For those of us who would be tempted to just indulge any form of escapism, I don't wanna to have to think about my reality, I'm gonna to escape to somewhere else, usually through a way that is not related to sobriety, not related to being alert. I wanna remind you, be reminded that you are not to live according to those desires. That's your former way of life, who you were. What we're talking about today is whose you are. 
Though God could have just ended the discussion there with simply what not to do, he goes further. He goes on instead to tell us how we ought to live as scattered exiles. That brings us to our third point today in your notes. You're called to live a set apart for a purpose, a lifestyle while you're leaning forward. You're called to live set apart for a purpose while you're leaning forward. That's the definition we're gonna see today related to the word holiness. Take a look at the verse. These are the last two verses in this passage. First Peter 1, 15 and 16, read it aloud with me again. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, this passage, when we look at it, uh, Peter appeals back to their nature again as God's children. He's basically saying, be holy like your dad is. As obedient children, respond to your life, respond to your world like your father does in holiness. Now, what some of us are hearing when we're hearing that phrase is this. So be perfect like God is perfect. And that causes within you a whole set of anxiety and fear in and of itself. It's almost like maybe some of us are hearing, be seven feet tall like Shaquille O'Neal. And you're just going, that ain't going to happen. So, so what do we do with this? And what's the way that we can understand what this passage is saying? And to me, what's really helpful is if we just go back and understand, even back to the former covenant, the Old Testament, and we see what this, this verse that's being alluded to here in 1 Peter 1, we find it in the book of Leviticus. And if we can understand what the word holy means all the way back from the beginning, I guarantee it will help inform our understanding of holiness in our, under, in our world today. First off, that phrase, be holy, not just the word holy, but be holy, is used 41 times in the book of Leviticus alone. That's more than double what any other book in the Bible will ever use that phrase. Now, what's interesting is Leviticus is usually the book we talk about that is a great cure for insomnia. If I just cannot sleep and I just want to knock out in the next three minutes, I'm going to pick up, pick up Leviticus because it is all about defining what the, the approach was and the rules, as it were, for the Levitical priesthood and the people of Israel. But again and again, this appeal that the book of Leviticus makes to Israel's religious leaders and to its community is be holy as I am holy. So we want to understand what that word holy means so we can um, help it apply to our lives today. I had the privilege uh, to speak to our uh, HSM students last fall in a series that they were doing on the names of God. And within that, uh, the week that I had the privilege of speaking on was this particular name. You can take a look at the screen. It was Jehovah Mekadesh. Jehovah Mekadesh, which doesn't mean anything to you, but translated, the Lord who sanctifies the Lord who sanctifies. That's what that name of God means. And I was really excited to get to talk about that name because of uh, the idea of, of what that idea of sanctification means. Sanctify and holy are really the same root word in both Hebrew and Greek. They mean the same thing as to sanctify is to make holy. So I want to talk about that today. What does the Lord who sanctifies even mean? Well, first off, recognize the active role that God has in what his name means. The Lord 
who sanctifies. Catch that. Meaning it's God who's doing the work of sanctifying or making holy his people. Like we said, the word sanctify is the same idea of, of making holy. So it's not derived from the people of God trying harder to be holy. It's not derived from them being religious to be found holy, but something that he does towards them. That's powerful to note. Look at this passage from Colossians 1 back in the New Testament. This is a, another powerful way to understand what this idea of being made holy and, and the onus that rests on God the Father. Colossians 1.21, once you were alienated from God, oh, I'm sorry, you're reading with me? There we go. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Transition word, but, but now he, watch that, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, nothing you have done up to this point, through death to present you holy. Who is doing it? He is. He's presenting you holy in his sight. And look at this last phrase, without blemish and free from accusation. Wow. Just think about that for a moment. That the work that God has done through the accomplished work of Jesus, he presents you as holy, presents you as sanctified. And as a result of that, you become someone who is free from blemish, free from accusation. Man, I don't know when the last time is you thought of yourself through those lenses but I wanna encourage you today, that's how God sees you once you put your faith in Jesus and believe in his accomplished work on your behalf. So that's a powerful verse giving us understanding. I chose back in the fall, I chose this particular name of God because I love being able to share with other Jesus followers what this really truly what this word holy means because I'm hoping they get it right long before I do. I really struggled with this for a long time. Maybe some of you, when you hear the word holy, this is what you think of. This is a, a, a piece of art from centuries ago. And I guess this just kind of typifies our typical idea halos, and this is a group of angels, and there's this sense of just, oh, you know, that's, that's kind of the word in our mind a little bit. The word holy just means like super spiritual, super close to God, super um, just kind of awe, right? And it's not to say that the word holiness doesn't mean any of that, but I think our problem is when we think of that, we actually lose the real basic meaning of the Hebrew word kadesh, Kadesh simply means apartness or sacredness. Even in our own Bible, the, the Hebrew scriptures, there are multiple times when this word kadesh is used simply to say that something was set apart. It was away from everything else because it had a unique purpose. Sometimes that word often is used for a sacred concept, like God who is set apart for a purpose, but it even can relate to things that are basic, everyday things. In your notes, things like a toothbrush. Things like a toothbrush. I think that being holy is a lot like how you view a toothbrush. Let me show you what I mean. Many of us are brushing our teeth, maybe even this morning before you watch this video. If not, you're going to soon after, I hope, and the people in your home really hope so. And you think about a toothbrush, and you think about the wonderful value that it has in keeping your teeth clean. It's a great thing, got these wonderful bristles, nice handle, comfy, and it's a good thing to use. 
And some of you are really like into brushing your teeth, like a lot. Like I, I brush twice a day, but some of you are like in between every meal and snack, and that's awesome. You have wonderful oral hygiene. For me, let's say this though. Let's say I'm going, I brush my teeth after breakfast this morning, and what do I do when I'm done? I set it aside in a, in a very unique, apart place because it's important that that doesn't get around other stuff. And then let's say at lunchtime, I'm gonna be ambitious. I go and brush my teeth again. Oh, it's so good. Mm. Cleanliness, so nice. Set my toothbrush again. I mean, yet between lunch and dinner, kind of as the day is going on, I realize I'm near my toothbrush. It's set apart. But I'm realizing that no one's around. I'm, I'm in isolation. And, and I've got this itch. I've got this itch on my back, and, and I just go, man, that's the closest thing available. Oh, man, does that feel good. Why wasn't I doing this before? Oh, perfect, just right in the back of that shoulder blade. And that's awesome. And now I've got new uses for my toothbrush. It's not just for teeth anymore. In the afternoon later on, you know, I've got this kind of tickle in my ear and kind of want to make sure I get that taken care of. Oh, Oh, man, who's ever going to need a Q-tip again? Later on in the afternoon, kind of feeling it in my pit a little bit and just want to oh, itch that out. That's so, these bristles are so good for everything. Later before the day's done, I go to take off my shoes. Man, it's just that one spot I have such a hard time getting. Oh, it's so good. And then in the afternoon, the afternoon's over. It's evening time. I've had dinner. It's time to brush my teeth again before I go to bed. And I go to, no. There is no way I'm sticking that thing in my mouth again. Because a toothbrush is set apart for a purpose. The purpose, in case you didn't know, is to brush your teeth. And that alone. It doesn't go anywhere else, no matter how comfy the bristles may be. Two things with my illustration. Number one, if you're a child in the room right now, do everything your parent tells you with your toothbrush and nothing of what I just showed you. Number two, if I've made your stomach churn because you're having pancakes, I apologize. I just felt it was too appropriate to not share it today. All right, so that's the best way. God doesn't sanctify you just to set you apart. If you had a toothbrush set apart in your medicine cabinet you never used, the toothbrush would be austere, but your teeth are rotting in your head. That's not good. But on the other hand, if you use your toothbrush for everything, you pollute it, and it's good for nothing. There's this wonderful balance. That's the best way to describe this definition of the word holy, set apart for a purpose. Looking back to our passage today, it's interesting. The Bible calls you to be holy, not to do holy. But as you read the rest of the passage, but yet being holy impacts your doing. Fascinating. So being and doing are closely linked. Take a look at this quote. Holiness is not something we must achieve by our own efforts. We've said that already. Holiness is a state created and given by God. The people of God are called to maintain the holiness that he has already conferred upon them by his grace. We've seen that phrase again today. And uh, grace in promise and redemption. The uh, emphasis on these verses is live differently because I have made you different. Be who you are. That's a powerful phrase. That last phrase, it simply says, be who you are. 
So you realize that as one of God's kids, your nature has been made like your father's because of whose you are. Not because of what you've done to achieve it, but because of whose you are. Therefore, there's a new nature and to act differently as a result. Now that we're God's kids, we behave differently in his family. So like the previous verses directed, you don't any longer live according to your previous way of life because that's not who you are any longer. But instead, living now differently and not living like you did fulfilling, pursuing those evil desires. In this current season, I will say it's going to be one of the most obvious ways that's going to be evidenced is whose you are based on how you deal with the challenges and the uncertainty and the rapid change that you're facing people who are still conforming to the evil desires and demonstrating out of those responses will be those who you will notice. They, they will not have the capacity to be patient. They will not demonstrate joy. They will not show love and on that evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life goes. But the reality is because of whose you are, you can. What does the Lord who sanctifies mean to the people in your relational world? It means that God has set you apart for a purpose, not just on the shelf to be away, but he set you apart for a purpose to be engaged for his purpose. And it's a passage that we talk about often from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Oh, you're reading with me? All right. Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is it, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And watch this, as though God was making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This passage we talk about often, it's so significant, so important. And I would say in this season, all the more. God, how do I represent you well to the people on my digital life, my social media, through texting, through calling on the phone? How do I represent you well and demonstrate because you have changed me, I can live in a way that truly is back to where we started today, anchored in your hope. So as we finish, this is a phrase I just want you to see. Live that life as set apart, one that's not easily confused with what is normal or usual in our culture that goes back to those evil desires, one that swims against the current of the culture that celebrates being out of alignment with God's design. We're not gonna be those people who do that and who give in to just letting whatever we feel be how we live. Instead, and where there's a problem, look in your notes. In the areas where you seem to have no power to change, because those will happen, rely upon the Spirit of God who is in you to produce change and growth. So what I don't want to communicate today is when the areas are challenging and where there's struggle, just try harder to be gooder. That's not the concept we see in Scripture. What we see is a surrender to the Spirit of God to say, Spirit, I cannot change myself in these areas. I am giving way to temptation. Would you help me? Would you bring growth? Would you bring change? 
And I just want to encourage you today as you live that kind of life, this kind of set apart for a purpose life among those that you're under your roof with and the everyday realities that you're sheltering in place in around, man, demonstrate, let Jesus be obvious to them. And then also the people that you're able to have influence with digitally, be his ambassador, demonstrate the fruit, the evidence of his spirit in your life. Be this representative who says, you know what? I know that it seems like all the world is caving in around us, but there's hope. Set your hope fully. That's, that's what this week can be about in the way you can be a person of influence. So I wanna encourage you back to our now what statement, live a purposeful, set apart life now as you wait expectantly for Jesus to return for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who very much are off our kilter, we're off center, the realities of getting into new rhythms, the realities of trying to figure out how this all works, what it is that we are called to do and who we're called to be in the midst of so much change. And now even as ripples go out in the midst of loss, Father, I pray that we would be a people who truly do live these set apart for a purpose lives and that the people in our worlds, both those who know and love you and those who don't, would see Jesus radiate out of our lives. If you're here today, you're watching online and you would say, Todd, I've actually never made that commitment, never responded by faith to what Jesus has done for me. I, I could never say that God sees me as blameless and, and without uh, blemish. Then the reality is today, I wanna tell you that you can change that. You can actually engage this response of faith to the gospel that's been made known to you. It begins with A, admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Admitting that you need Jesus to do something for you you can't attain for yourself. B, it means believe. Believe Jesus did do those things. He did live a sinless life. He did die a sacrificial death. He was like, we'll celebrate next Sunday. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe Jesus is the only savior available. And C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my hope into who you are and what you've accomplished for me, not in what I can do somehow for myself. Those are the ABCs of salvation. That's where it begins in your response. And I wanna encourage you right now, where you are, you can make that decision. Father, we love you. Thank you, thank you for this day we get to celebrate you entering into Jerusalem, presenting yourself as a long-awaited Messiah. Thank you that you presented yourself that way to us. We love you and pray in Jesus' great name, amen. All right, we look forward to seeing you Friday night, Good Friday service at seven o'clock. We'll see you then. I was blind, now I'm seeing in color. I was dead, now I'm living forever. I had failed, but you were my redeemer. I've been blessed beyond all.